Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you with us as well as those joining online. We're excited because it's Mother's Day and we're looking forward to a great day in the house of the Lord. Thank you for being with us. If you've come just to support mom, no other reason. Thank you for being here. We're glad you're here. And that is a very good reason reason. Now, when Mother's Day comes around, um, it's a great chance for us to just kind of celebrate uh, moms and, and, and who they are and what they mean to us. But we're going to also walk through our continuing in our series in the Gospel of Mark. And so we're going to weave those together throughout the service because I think there's something for all of us to learn in the section we're at in our scriptures today. So Mother's Day, you, you know, in your house, every mom has... Um, some sayings that are kind of her sayings, you know, momisms, if you will. And, and you, you can copy her or repeat her or she's about to say this. You kind of know. And I, and I bet if you go out to lunch today, some of you could go, here's what mom says. And she'll laugh and then you'll notice when to stop joking. You'll see it in her eyes. Like, that's it right there. Okay, we're done. Because dad will usually say, okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. That just and because um, mom will often, if she's if she's overly teased, will say things like, "You'll be glad when I'm not here that I was here," and, and things like this. So so moms have lines, but I, I, I appreciate the comedian Tim Hawkins. The one time he was joking about moms, and he said, "Moms are no help when you lose something." He goes, "Mom, I, I need something." She, his mom, always said, "Well, it's got to be somewhere." He's like, thanks, thanks. I, I thought I was going crazy. I thought I was looking for something that didn't exist. It's gotta be somewhere. Every mom has these lines. One of my mom's lines was, Christopher, don't make noise just to make noise. Now, if you understood me as a child, I would make noise just to make noise. My, my, my library teachers knew that. Um, everybody knew that. I'd make sounds with my mouth. I'd whistle. I would sing, I'd hum, I'd bang on things, tap on things. I was an obnoxious, obnoxious fourth and fifth grader. Then I grew up in seventh grade. No, no, that's not, not necessarily the case. My wife's a little bit different. She comes from central PA. She's a country girl. And um, I always cleaned up the house. My wife and her family, they read up a house. They don't clean it up, they read up. And I've noticed with my wife, it's always an up with her. She, it's read up, grow up, suck it up. Those are things that my bride brings into our family. And that's good. It makes my kids nice and tough. And I appreciate that about her. I love her so much. Um, but my mom used to say something that would just really embarrass me. Does mom ever do that to you, teenager? You ever say, mom, you can stop the car right here. We'll walk, we'll walk. You ever, ever have mom say something? It's like, oh, mom, not right now. Really, mom? I want you to meet somebody. Stop it. Mom sometimes can do that. And my mom, I'm in high school. I'm playing sports. I'm active. I got a lot of friends. And my mom answered the phone by saying, hello, Jesus loves you. Now, now young people, we had phones in our house. They were like attached to the wall. Stay with me. And, and, and we would dial, okay? It would ring and we'd walk over to it. It was amazing. And, and, and if you were really, like if you had a little extra money, you would get longer cords, okay? And, and we had these cords and we could walk with our phone. 
anywhere we want. It was like having a mobile phone and, and, and we'd walk and the cord would stretch. It would tangle up. People would have to sometimes, here, go under. There we go. Okay, okay, I'm on the phone. Here, right? and, and, and we had these cords and we were attached to these things. And so when you had to call a girl, guys, listen, high school guys, college guys, listen to me. When I had to call a girl to see if she'd go out, I had to pray dad wouldn't answer the phone. I didn't have this little cop-out text stuff. You know, we had to go through the father or, or heaven forbid, mom. Oh, who's this? Oh, oh, I don't know if I know your name. Um, it was another guy who called just a few minutes ago. Okay, what? We had to go through that. It was called, it was called landlines, okay? So my buddies would call. Hey, let's go out. Let's go do this. Let's go do this. And... And one night I was expecting them to call and they, they never, I got to school the next day. I'm like, hey guys, I thought you were gonna call me and tell me we were going. Oh yeah, we, we did call you, but like some church picked up. <laughs> Mom, hello, Jesus loves you. My buddies are like, what? That can't be Heller's house and hung the phone up. <laughs> we learn from mom because moms have some isms. And they say things, but, but one of the things we love about our moms is they teach us a lot of social graces. They teach us proper timing. They teach us the way to do things. And so every mom at some point has said this or you've heard this come out of your mom. Um, let's say you're tickling, punching, giggling your sibling during church. You're gonna hear something like this. Now is not the time. Now's not the time. We learn this. Try this one, try this one, because here's another time you'll hear it. You'll hear this, let's say you're in fifth grade and you have a project due tomorrow. You've known about it for two months. And right around nine o'clock at bedtime, you go, mom, the project's due. Well, when? Tomorrow. Oh, now is not the time to be telling me. And mom is yelling that while she's walking around getting everything you need to get the project done, right? I can't even believe you're telling me now. Get those, okay, get those pencils. We need those. Okay, right here. And, and you're hearing it the whole time and you just sit there as mom's yelling at you that this is not the time while she's finishing your project, right? That's why moms are awesome. Sometimes she'll ask you to do the chores and you'll start to do them. And she said, you should do them. You'll start to do them. And then as you're doing them, she goes, what are you doing? Here, here, move over. That is not the way. That's the second, you're gonna, that's not the way to do it. And we learn the way to do things from our moms. But there are times where we're running when we shouldn't. There's times when we're misbehaving and she'll say things like, hey, hey, this is not the place. This is not the place. So, so now is not the time. That is not the way. This is not the place. Common sayings to help coach their children along. Because unfortunately, moms battle something that's invisible to us children at times. And that is the opinions of other moms. And that is the opinions of the crowd. That is the opinions of how people view their children. And she's trying to protect them from the many voices that will go, oh, I see they're doing that. Oh, I saw they did that. I noticed they did that in church. And moms are trying to protect that. 
And they think about what other people are thinking about because good Lord, dad isn't. He's just trying to get in somewhere, get out of somewhere. And mom goes, do you see what other people are thinking? And she battles it especially, especially hard. And I want to remind moms today, one, Jesus loves you. And two, Jesus stands by those who sometimes feel everyone's judging whether they're doing a good job or not. And if you ask most moms whether they're doing a good job, you know, often their answer is no, I'm not. Because nobody's as hard on a mom as mom. And so today, let's leverage some of these isms because Mark has them too, right? One of the things that Mark says throughout his gospel is the word, anybody wanna guess? immediately, and we learned in week one, if we're gonna be fishers of men, we are to do it immediately. We also got to see that when Jesus looks at the crowds, he does not look at them with an idea of contempt. He looks at them with compassion. And we learned that he must become greater and we must become less. Last week, we learned the principle of the extra mile. We learn that the first mile we might have to, but the second mile we get to. That second mile is walking in freedom where the first was feeling like we were walking in bondage. We called it the extra mile. I even heard this week that people were going out of their way to try to go the second mile. But today, we'll call our message, have mercy. Have mercy. Sometimes, Your children will do things that make you call for mercy out loud on yourself, from God, and from others. Have mercy. I remember walking into a room and our oldest child, who at the time was only a toddler, had taken Sharpie and drawn all over the floor. Not, not a section, all over the floor. It was one of those, oh, oh have mercy. You say, say, why, why? Um, on him, because of what I'm about to do to him. <laughs> because I live in a parsonage, this isn't even my house. And so a trustee board will be involved in this. Have mercy, because when his mom sees this, and he's taking his Thomas the Tank train and he's driving on these lines. And I went, what have you done? And he turns, he goes, they're tracks. <laughs> My wife comes in the room and hears him say, they're tracks. And she takes his side. <laughs> well, they are tracks. It's not like he was trying to destroy the floor. They're tracks. How are we, we going to get this up? I mean, how are we gonna, like, look at this. And then, don't, don't, don't start, don't go back to driving the train. We can't draw on the carpet. Oh, some of the tracks are on the wall too, praise God. <laughs> Have mercy on me, it's over. It's a phrase voiced out of frustration, of overwhelm, of what are we gonna do? Oh my goodness. And fortunately, Fortunately, oh, the church leadership was gracious and we, we got some new carpet. But my word, it was unbelievable. 
And see, sometimes moms especially can see that their children are certainly not perfect and they need mercy. But guess what? So does mom, because she's not perfect either. And so does dad, and so do those kids. And so today we're calling our message, Have Mercy. It will be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter two, verses 18 through 22. And I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna look into God's word immediately. Heavenly Father, use this text to encourage us and inspire us to be like Jesus. We will encounter Jesus' disciples being questioned, even judged for their behavior, spoken out loud in front of others, in front of other people to see as if to shame them for what they're not doing when they should be doing it. How will Jesus respond? How will he come alongside his guys? How will he show mercy? May we discover it today in your word. And so Lord, I would ask that you would remove the room of distraction, that you would calm our hearts, that you would humble us to receive your wonderful word. And so that we might leave differently because we visited this place. May you be given all the glory and all the praise as we open up the sacred text. In Jesus' name, amen. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And the people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? A question immediately arises in our text. What's up with your lack of fasting? But you, what do we know about the word fasting? Now, when I say fasting, you probably think of refraining from food. For in fact, even in this modern time, we think of it sometimes as a diet option. It's a wellness move, and I'm not saying it's not, but, but sometimes we're a little cloudy on what fasting actually is. There was a time, there was a way, and there was a place to do fasting. The time, it was to be temporary. The way, it was to be during often the sunlight hours, and it was a refraining from food. They were told in the Levitical law to at least do it one time a year around the Day of Atonement, but the Pharisees have come in and added to those guidelines. In fact, they took the law and they spread the law and made their own convictions so that they could be seen as more special and they fasted two times a week. Does anybody know what days they picked? They selected Mondays and Fridays to be days of fasting. So following the Lord's day and leading into the Sabbath day, and they would fast in such a way that people would see them fasting so that they would know they were fasting. See, the biblical purpose of fasting was to refrain from food so you took your eyes off of the things of the world and you placed them on the things of God. Whenever the hunger pains came, you were reminding, I'm sacrificing what this earth provides for a time and a focus on God. It was focusing what you see, what you look at. But for the Pharisees, it was a different purpose. They leveraged it to be better than others. Oh, you go to church? We go to Sunday evenings and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays. I mean, they leveraged it as if to say, we're better than you because we do these things. Because their goal was not to fix their eyes on the things of God necessarily, although the, the most pious priest would. 
But the focus clearly seems throughout the gospels to be on themselves. It was about them. It would almost be like someone struggling to make other people in their family behave a certain way out of more fear that they would look bad than that they would actually look bad. The focus was self-focused. In fact, this was happening at such an incredible rate that Jesus came to this earth and he spoke on this and Matthew recorded it. He spoke about the Pharisees' behavior while they were fasting. He said this, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. He continues, says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, now let's just, just, over here real quick in the seminary real quick. Whenever you see truly I say to you, it can also be phrased another way. Have any of you ever heard the phrase verily, verily? Well, verily, verily, and truly I say to you are very synonymous in the fact that Jesus is saying, I affirm this, this is a reality, you can bank on this, I am asking you to pay attention to this. It's like, listen to me, we often say in our culture, hey, hear me out, I'm not lying. We try to bring an emphasis, that's what truly I say to you, they receive their reward. So, so this is what's going on in that culture. During the times of fasting, the Pharisees would make sure their faces were dirty and they walk around. Oh, oh. It's as if I come into work on Fridays and I go, oh, Pastor Chris, you all right? Oh, I'm, I'm fasting. Oh, mm, oh, uh, oh, what's on your face? Oh, I'm just fasting for Jesus. I wish more people fasted, do better. Do better, everyone. Oh, I wish more people fast. This is what's going on. And, 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 and we would never stoop to this today, right? That's only just a, a struggle in the past. None of us have a Pharisee mindset. It never sneaks in, right? We would never use our platform to, to bring exaltation to ourselves and slightly bash other people. Or do we? In the age of social media, how easy is it? With the things we post, the things we say, to draw attention to ourselves as well as take shots at others. I, I found a post from Teresa Pharisee. It says this, vacay pick. I felt led in my quiet time that I never miss. Oh, all caps, okay. To get our family together on the beach to pray in God's creation. Oh, that's great. It's such a shame so many moms miss out on moments like this. Oh, oh, oh. Such a busy, materialistic, and social media crazed world. Forgive us, Lord, let's do better. Don't you just feel blessed when you read that? I mean, <laughs> ladies, aren't you fired up? I mean, it would make you want to be a better mom reading something like that. No. It actually, it, it'll, it'll stings a little bit because there was more to that. You had an agenda in that little comment that had nothing to do with it. And, and you're feeling all this. And, and I made this up. So if you thought like this is somebody in our church, Chris is taking a shot at, just calm down. Okay, calm. I don't know who, who wrote that. It looks like my friend Sue. No, no, it's not. But you see this kind of activity. It's pharisaical. It's if to say, watch us. I wish more people were like us. It's a shame we aren't because what the Pharisees did is they drew attention to themselves in order to treat others with contempt. 
It wasn't so much that, look at me, because sometimes we want to celebrate with other people. There's nothing wrong with that. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Nothing wrong with that. But it's when we seek to treat others with contempt, we become like a Pharisee. You ever hear the phrase, there's no I in team? I, I, I had a friend who would respond, yeah, but there isn't win, so let's go. Uh, 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 <laughs> there's no I in team, but there is in fair I see. And there's no better illustration of that than in the pages of Luke. Another gospel, he writes in chapter 18 of Luke of one of the most infamous accounts in scripture. You all know it. It's the Pharisee and the publican or tax collector. You remember this one? Let's just review it, okay? In case you might not remember all the details. And let's bring this account into our illustration today that we're about to see Jesus respond to this question. How come you guys aren't fasting right now? Here it is. It's Luke 18, the Pharisee and the tax collector. He also, Jesus, told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So this is a parable for those who have made a decision that this is the way it should be. It's not necessarily in scripture. It's just the way that, um, um, let me just, just, if it's you, I'm not, I don't know your home or whatever, but okay. Children should be in bed at eight o'clock, 2 Timothy 3.18, okay, whatever, okay, whatever, okay. And like and any parent, if, if you're up later than that, that's a real shame, okay, uh, whatever that is, okay. Or it's like, hey, kids, whatever, you know, we'll see you, don't, go, don't lock up, all right, good night, okay. What, whatever it is, but when you start to like kind of, oh, did you see what my sister does with her children? That's the kind of thing. Okay, so well, let's just look at this, here we go. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Okay, so anybody listening would go, okay, a very righteous man and a disgusting tax collector. Okay, tell the story, Jesus. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Did you catch that? Thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. Tax, uh, uh, extortioners, he says, unjust, adulterers. And then he goes, or even like this tax collector. He points him out in the room. He's in the room, you say? Yeah, he must have just walked past him. Thank you, I'm not like them. Do you have anybody in your life where you thank God you're not like them? Watch out, red flag. What's going on here? He continues, I'm not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. Oh, do you remember that from our historical background already? He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But this tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector and the tax collector's over here going I'm a, I don't even want to look at you I don't deserve it that, please be merciful just have mercy on me have mercy on me and while he's praying this to God there's someone in the same temple going thank you God that I'm not like him with the same mouth he's praising God and with the same mouth He's trashing another person in the temple praying. And then Jesus summarizes and he says this. I tell you, 
This man who cried out, have mercy, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And then, and then hear this, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let, let's remember, I'm gonna say it again just in case we checked out. Everyone who exalts himself is gonna get humbled. Is this Pastor Chris's opinion? No, 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 Jesus just said that. And anyone who humbles themselves will be exalted. This man goes home justified. That crowd listening to that one be like, oh, what? The Pharisee is the most godly man on earth and you're telling me a tax collector would go home? We read that through our 21st century eyes and go, yeah, sounds right, can't stand Pharisees. But at that time, that would have been like, oh my word, are you kidding me? There is one group of people Jesus did not associate well with. And it wasn't the tax collectors. It wasn't even the prostitutes. It wasn't even the adulterers. It wasn't even the sinners. It was the Pharisees. That's who treated Jesus with contempt. For they declared themselves righteous and they fasted so that they could be seen. You're never, let me check that. I am never, more like a Pharisee than when I focus on what I see in others that I look at with contempt. And so let's take this word and let's bring out our greater than less than. I am never more like a fair a see when I focus on what I see in others that makes me feel greater. I am greater and what I see is less. I see uh, your kids didn't come. I see you guys didn't. I see that you're doing this now. I see that that's no longer important to you. I'm never more like a Pharisee than when I focus on what I see in order to make me feel greater. And Jesus hears this question and responds with three illustrations. Now that's so Mark, isn't it? If you've been with us in our Mark Gospel of Mark series, he'll, he'll do one thing, but there'll be multiple aspects to it. We'll hear Mark saying one response by Jesus, but he shares three illustrations to respond. So here's the first one. Jesus turns to them when they ask, why aren't you fasting? And Jesus says this, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. I see you're not fasting. Now is not the time. That is his reply. I might, you might see that, but now is not the time. Why is now not the time? Because the bridegroom is here. Jesus is with them. And he's saying this is a time for celebration. And so when the Pharisees put out, I see, he turns to them and says, go ahead. Now is not the time. It's not the time. Now, in your study of Jewish weddings and festivals this week, you probably ran across this. 
when you study these out, they aren't typical. They're not like the American wedding where you used to like a rehearsal dinner the night before and then a wedding and a reception and we go home, right? They celebrated the entire week. These would last for an entire week. And because the Pharisees had written so many extra laws into society, they had to make a minor law to adjust another law. See, you made a law, it's not really working so good, so they make another law. And this other law was this. During the time of a wedding feast, you do not have to fast twice a week. So they had made this law. Jesus, knowing they did this, takes one of their minor laws and uses it against their major law. I'm telling you, he's impossible. He is literally impossible to confront. He is always 100 steps above or beyond these guys. And he goes, hey, you guys, you don't fast during a feast. Well, that is true. I remember, um, uh, you know, he wrote that uh, a couple of years ago when we wanted to feast and we had a law and we were like, well, we can't do that. It's my daughter. And uh, we made, so, so like there's all these things that they had to change and Jesus calls them out and says, now's not the time. Now's not the time. And then Jesus continues after saying, basically, you don't mourn when it's time to celebrate. It's not the time. He says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. All my sewers went in the, in the room and were like, whoa, 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 the Bible talks about this? Yeah, go ahead, put it on your wall above your sewing machine. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. And if you're sitting here going, I don't know why, just, just think amongst yourself for a bit and we'll ask Jesus to answer why. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and the worst tear is made. If you've got an old piece of clothing that's already been shrunk, you don't take an unshrunk piece of cloth and make the patch. What will happen is it'll shrink and it'll pull away and it'll make a worse tear. Jesus like, everybody knows that. Isn't he an amazing teacher? They're all sitting there going, that is true. I mean, it's true. It happened to me the other day. You don't do that. You're trying to fit something old into something new. That's not how it works. What's Jesus getting at? Well, one, now's not the time. The bridegroom is here, a new thing is dawned and it's time to celebrate. And then secondly, that is not the way. You don't do it that way. That's not how you fix something. You don't try to force the old into the new. This is a brand new way of doing things that will demand a new way of looking at things. And then he finishes with the third one. And no one, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. What's this? Well, if you're not familiar with that practice, they would have these wineskins, almost like these, these canteens almost type things made out of these satchels that they would put wine into, okay? He says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and then so are the skins. During the fermentation process, it expands the dioxides and the different aspects of it are, are growing inside of it. And so if you take new and you put it into the old, it will stretch again and it'll explode it. So new wine is for fresh wine skins. I wonder if he's even holding one of the wines because he's playing saying, this is not the place you put that. Now is not the time, that is not the way, and this is not the place. Our final point, it's not the place. You see, maybe mom was onto something. Maybe it is important for us in every aspect of our life to know the time, to know the way, and to know the place. 
And sometimes it's not the time. And sometimes it's just not the way. And sometimes it's just not the place. And the fair I sees like to point out when you're not following what they believe is best or how you should do it. And they become judgmental, pointing out flaws, seeing the negative, pointing it out in public places, embarrassing places, difficult places. And we all know none of us are perfect. There's no mom perfect here. There's no dad perfect here. There's no grandpa or grandma, no pastor, teacher. Nobody's perfect in this room. And we have flaws. And what a fair I see likes to do is constantly point out the flaws. And they've come to Jesus and say, John the Baptist's disciples are fasting. Of course they are. John has just been thrown into prison. They are mourning. And the Pharisees are fasting. Of course they are. They want to be seen by men and be glorified. Why aren't you fasting? Because it's not the time. That's not the way. For you shouldn't even know if we are fasting. Because if we were fasting the biblical way, you wouldn't even know if we were. And this is not the place to be calling my guys out because they're doing nothing wrong. Why? Because they're with me. Martha, Martha, you're busy doing many things. But one thing is needed and Mary has chosen it. When I'm around, you spend time with me. And when you spend time with me, you are so far from being like the Pharisee. But I don't know about you, but I often don't need a Pharisee to point out my flaws. Is anybody with me on when I say that? Because I'm pretty good at pointing out my own to myself. I'll tell you what, I've been a pastor now for a few years. And one thing that's common is a phrase I will say to a lot of people going through tough times. Man, you're mean to yourself. That person inside you is mean. And I'll see their head kind of drop. I remember speaking to a businessman one time and he was like, and this is my brother, this is my brother. I'm like, are you kind of mean to yourself? And he just put his head down. I go, are you tempted to think God looks at you the way you look at yourself? And he stared at me with eyes wide open. Because I mean, the way you look at yourself, if you think that's how God looks at you, child of God, you got the wrong God. That's the devil's trap to get you to see all of your failures and ignore the grace of God in your life. There was a time in my life years ago, many years ago, I had just become a youth pastor a couple years in and there was a card on my desk. It said, Pastor Chris, I went over and I opened it up and um, I began to read it. And it went on to say um, how they saw things about my family that are disgraceful for a pastor to be doing, that um, I'm setting a poor example and I should be kind of ashamed of myself and grow up as quickly as possible. And then it said, but we do love your preaching. So that's nice. <laughs> and I read that and I'm like, you love the letters where there's one good thing and then seven negatives. And, um, 
And, 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 and I'm reading some of these things and it was like, just, just like venom, it was like poison inside of me. And it was really discouraging and it was difficult and I felt heavy. You ever feel that way? You just feel heavy when you're criticized. And I know it's part of public, public ministry, you're gonna get it, okay? But it, it just feels heavy even when it does happen. And, and I remember even reaching out to my dad going, dad, I got this letter. I mean, it was like all over me. I just wanted somebody who would, who would love me. And, um, and my dad said, well, who, who wrote that? I said, no, nobody signed it. He goes, oh, nobody signed it? I said, yeah. He goes, throw it out. It's from the devil. I've kept that line in my life. Because the enemy wants you going. I wonder who said it. I bet they said it. You know what? The other day, he wants you dividing. He wants you coming up with grand plans of who it might have been. It wants you angry. He wants you mad. He wants you frustrated. He wants you to get them back. He wants you to go and find out what you see in them. Oh, you got opinions of me? You want to hear my opinions? I'll share them from the pulpit. That's exactly what the enemy wants. And he gets up and <laughs> let him have it. Go get them back. Dream up who it was. We need to hush the Pharisee. We need to hush the Pharisee and we can't hush the Pharisees in our day and age because anybody with a social media account can take a shot at somebody now. But what we can do is not define ourselves by what other people say about us, about our children, about our families, about you, mom. You must let Jesus define you and find all of your identity in him. And so may I propose a different envelope. In scripture, you hear a, a verse, it says this. When you become a child of God, Jesus's life is credited to you. In other words, it's as if your balance in your balance account Jesus' life and what he's done is put in yours. His righteousness is credited to you. And when you become a child of God, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus, not, not your flaws, not your failures. All of those are forgiven and they're separated from you as far as the east is from the west. And so when he sees you, he sees the life of Christ. Otherwise, there's no way you get into heaven. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus because you're in Christ. The scripture says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. So when God looks at me, not necessarily your neighbor, because there might be some condemnation, okay? Not necessarily that other mom, not necessarily that other teenager at school, not necessarily that other college student, not necessarily that professor, not necessarily that person in your retirement home. But when Christ looks at me, when God looks at me, he sees Jesus, why? Because there's no condemnation for those who are, here it is, my envelope, in Christ. In Christ. And if I find my identity from who I am in Christ, it will hush the Pharisee that points out all of my flaws, including the Pharisee in my own head that tells me all the time my failures. And the world will want to give you an identity. The world will want to label you, but child of God, you must find your identity in Christ. I have a driver's license in my back pocket. It's an identity card, right? 
It's a form of identity, right? And, and um, it's a wonderful picture, I'm sure, like yours, right? Okay, no, it's not necessarily, but it's got a bunch of flaws because this guy's very flawed. But the age of six, he has Jesus Christ into his heart. And scripture says, those who are in Christ, they who have come, now that you're in Christ, you'll hear in Christ throughout the Old Testament. When I became a child of God, I went in Christ. And so every time I pray, he's not looking at what I was, he's looking at who I am. And the righteousness of Christ is credited to me. And so for me to pray, God, I know I'm such a loser. He's going, what? Well, you see me, you see how terrible. He doesn't look at my flaws. He looks at his son, because I'm in Christ. Oh, but Chris, I, I, I still make mistakes. That's why we confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins because we're in Christ, we have this relationship. And then just every once in a while, the devil, he still tries. He goes, oh, you might lose that. And the Holy Spirit goes along and says, give me the envelope. What, Chris is in there? Yeah, and he seals it. For the work of the Holy Spirit is to seal us for the day of salvation. Therefore, no one can snatch me out of my Father's hand. I am signed, sealed, and delivered. Amen? And therefore, it really doesn't matter what the fair eye sees, see. It matters what he sees. It doesn't mean the Pharisees won't still hurt. But I can go back to the one who will turn to the Pharisees every time they condemn me. See, now's not the time. Now's not the place. And that's not the way because Chris is with me. And when you're treated with that much love, while yet I was a sinner, he died for me and gave me an opportunity to be inside that envelope. You have no choice but to live your life with him becoming greater and myself becoming less. And instead of focusing on what I see in others, may I look instead to not tear them down, but to build them up. This Mother's Day, can I leave you with an application specifically for moms that we all need to listen in? Moms, there's a really interesting yet kind of alarming verse in scripture that is specifically towards moms. Have you ever heard, be a Proverbs 31 mom, and then have you ever asked moms how they feel about that? They're like, thanks, it's like impossible, okay? Proverbs 31. But there's another Proverbs, mom, that I really want to warn you against. There's two moms, actually, in this proverb. And it's Proverbs 14.1. It says this. The wise woman builds her house. But with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. The wise woman builds her house. I read that, I go, oh yeah, the wise woman builds her house. But I'm really terrified by this. If I'm a mom specifically, that the foolish woman, she tears it down with her own hands. I mean, it'd be nice to blame somebody else at times here. And I'm sure there are other people that definitely impact that house. But scripture says the foolish woman, she goes about tearing her own house down. She has nobody else to look around. Have you ever seen a foolish woman tear her own house down? What, what does that look like? 
Moms, it's so easy in society, especially today, to get in the comparison trap of whether you're doing enough, saying enough, whether your kids are keeping up with the other kids. Trust me, I'm in my 40s now. I never shake someone's hand and say, you wanna know when I started reading? (laughs) I have multiple degrees, but I've never said, you wanna know what my GPA was? Never. I don't introduce myself that way. We have to remember what matters and what doesn't. Not that these things don't matter, but we have to know at the end of the day, what must our focus be? Because if we're not careful, we hear all the Pharisees and we start treating our family out of fear that we'll be embarrassed, out of fear that we will look bad. And it's not really about them. Do you know what they're gonna say about our child if they're like that? Do you know? And guys, we fall in this trap. Oh, oh yeah, coach don't wanna play him. All right, let's go. I mean, we fall into this trap and we, and we get so, because if it's about us, those children can become trophies instead of stewardship of God's mercies. And it's really I who feels embarrassed and ashamed more than the impact we're having. And what happens is the devil sneaks in and goes, look at those falls, you better say something. Look at those falls, you better fix them or other people are gonna see them and they're gonna point out what a terrible mom you are, what a terrible dad you are, what a terrible grandma you are. They're gonna point it out. And the focus of the enemy is for ladies specifically, moms specifically to tear your house down by going, I see, I see, I see and focusing solely on what's wrong instead of missing what's right. So the foolish woman, she's like a Pharisee and she tears her home down. But the wise woman, she becomes less. She flips the greater than less than and she goes about saying, I'm gonna make it about what I see and not about me. And what a freeing life that is. I can really fall into the trap of focusing on what's wrong. Danny, you struggle with this? Danny, you have a a child, you can only focus on what's wrong. Any young people in here, you can only focus on what's wrong about dad and you're missing everything that's right. Any grandmas in here, you're only focused on what your daughter's not doing and you're forgetting everything she is doing. Any, any, Any teachers in here, you're focused only on that one thing that kid does and you're forgetting all the other things or not even seeing anything else. It's so easy to do. In my office, a couple years back, they renovated it. And while we were working through this building, we're still renovating through this facility, obviously. The, the painters came in, they painted it all, and they left a hole where an old picture was. And the hole's really kind of big to me. And I remember seeing it going, oh, I hope that doesn't get left. And, and then it was great. I had some pictures brought in of the sermon series of the past. And I, I kind of have the sermon series in my office. Our prayer partners meet in there. They can see the current sermon series that we're in. And I get to see those sermon series, but that hole was still there. And I kept looking at that hole. And I'd be like, oh, somebody fixed that hole. Oh, I got to fix that hole. And I, I mean, oh, my, maybe I should patch it up. No, that'll look like I'm upset. I can't see that hole. And I'm focused on the hole. I walk in my office. I see that hole. And I, uh, I see that imperfection in the wall. I mean, the wall is beautiful, but that hole. And all I see is that hole. And I'm missing everything on that wall. 
The Majestic series was one of the neatest prayer series our church has been through. Right next to that is the Resolve series. We, talk, we had a rope across the stage where God pulls us up the mountain when we can't get up ourselves. In the next one, we, we talked about Jericho Walls. We spent so many sermon series through the Jericho Wall series in the book of Joshua. I grew personally from it. And the, and the God, First John series, oh man, that was one of my favorite series is to preach. And all I can see is that hole that none of you can even see, can you? Especially if you're in the stadium seating. And that's exactly what happens to us when that coach comes up to your dad and goes, hey man, your son's great. No, he's not. He, I, mean, I mean, he's struck out like three straight times. No, no, he's great. I'm like, what? What's wrong, dad? We focus on that hole. Hey, I got to meet your daughter. She's wonderful. Well, yeah, I don't know what you saw. I mean, that's great, but I mean, the daughter, I don't. We're so focused on that hole. And the devil just keeps pressing that Pharisee button, doesn't he? Focus on that. Talk about that. When she drives in with all her kids and she gets out of her car to see her mom, as soon as she gets out of the car, mention her outfit. Oh, you wore that now. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. I see, I see the kids um, aren't wearing pants. We just wear diapers now to the house. <laughs> and we laugh. But mom... When all of a sudden she's not coming around as much, don't be surprised because all she hears is a fair I see. Teenager, you can focus so much on that one thing dad did wrong, but what are some of those things dad did right? Employer, we can focus, and I'm not saying we don't confront these things. Things have to get confronted, but there's a way to do it to inspire and motivate, and there's a way to do it to guilt and shame and destroy. And when the goal is to treat someone with contempt, we're never more like the fair I see. I told Mike, don't fix that hole in my office. It's a sermon illustration. <laughs> I've learned to love that hole because it reminds me how easy I can get my focus on the wrong thing and miss everything God's given me. This Mother's Day, make your home a place where you're less and what you see is greater. May I encourage an Ephesians 4.29 approach. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Real quick, how much corrupting talk? Not some? Okay, let's come back. Let none. So what's corrupting talk? Talk that tears down. Because scripture continues and says this, but only such is good for building up. May I encourage everybody when we're tempted to point out a negative, is this the time? Is this the time? Pastor Chris, oh good, come here, come here, come here. Can you fix him? He is such an idiot. Mom, now is not the time. He's looking at me like, thanks, mom, I'm such an idiot. As fits the occasion, this is not the place. We need to have that alert. Dad, 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 what, what? This is not the place. 
as fits the occasion, so that it may give grace to those who hear. That's not the way. When people hear us talk, they should hear grace coming out of us. And we must be careful. For from the same mouth, from the same mouth, death and life can come. For death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so instead of us talking, bringing the focus to ourselves and treating others with contempt, may we flip the script on the devil and may we go out of our way to point out things that inspire others. Hi friends, thanks for praying. We made it to the beach and are getting some much needed time together. Wow, I didn't realize how bad we needed to just stop and be together in this crazy world. Hoping I see a pic soon of your family doing the same, cheering for you. We have an option. And I pray we would speak with others with mercy. Who has the Holy Spirit brought to your mind that you've been only pointing out the hole in their life and instead you wish to become less and they become greater and you spend the rest of this week looking for things you see that you can point out and say, that's great. I love how you do that. Have I ever told you how much I appreciate that? For the very thing my mom would pick up the phone and say, hello, Jesus loves you, is the very thing that I wish to say to all you moms today. Jesus loves you. If you're a child of God, he defines you. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. Instead, go out of your way to build others up because I bring you identity, not your performance and not what you think will bring you life. I love you. I want you to know that. Find your identity in me. And the one thing that used to embarrass me about my mom is one of my favorite aspects about my mom because she's still writing notes today and she's a little disappointed we don't write notes more for how encouraging are they when you get them. Heavenly Father, use this day to encourage all the moms, but all of us, to watch out for the fair I see. We are so good at pointing out the flaws in others that we forget we live in such a negative, cruel, competitive, shaming, guilt, guilting world that we desperately need encouragement. Forgive us for believing some sort of lie that if we encourage others, they'll get cocky or get a big head. Lord, we desperately need to hear from one another encouraging words for the enemy is constantly berating us. If not from someone else's voice, the voice in our own head, shaming and guilting us. When Jesus, you want us to remember, I love you. When I look at you, I see Christ for you're in Christ. And may that be our rallying cry as to why we should treat others the same and seek to build them up and never tear them down. 
For in doing so, our own house will fall. But the one that's built on the rock of encouragement will build and stand through the storms of life. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.